You've tuned into Omega Church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. Hallelujah. Let's make a new proclamation. Kingdom, kingdom of God is within me. Again. Again. You believe it, your life will not be the same. Amen? Amen. So we continue with our series on Book of Jonah. Today we are going to look into chapter 4. The book ends with a question. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? It's just a question. It doesn't tell many things. The story is very captivating, very interesting, very juicy. It has many ups and downs, a uh, lot of, everything is there in it. Whatever you want to see is there in the small four chapters. But it doesn't tell us many, many things. Uh, one of those things is, how long did Jonah remain angry? It doesn't tell. Did the people remain worshipping Yahweh? They, they repented. All the whole city repented when Jonah preached. Single sentence. Yet 40 more days. Nineveh will be overthrown. The whole city, everybody, great and small, including animals, repented, covered with sackcloth. And they said, let us leave our um, cruelty. And uh, they changed. The whole city changed. But did it remain changed for how long? We don't have much information. Did Jonah keep in the same state of anger until he died? Don't know. Very hard nut to crack. You can see that. <laughs> he is not going to give up so easily. He is willing to have an argument with God himself. He knows God. One of the wonderful things is, Jonah is not a gullible man. He knows who this God is. We'll, we'll look into it very shortly. But, what is the most ironic you know, thing is, Jonah was happy about his deliverance from the belly of the fish. He was thrown into the, from the, bow, I mean the ship and a fish followed him. He was there three days, three nights inside the fish and he cried out to God and he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. He repented and I will do whatever I have vowed to do. And then God commanded the fish to vomit him out and he was thrown on the dry ground. But he is not happy about the deliverance of Ninevites. People of Nineveh, he doesn't want them to be Save. He doesn't want him to repent. Doesn't want. What kind of a strong head he must be having to oppose the plans of God? Can you be fighting with God forever and ever? Many of us are doing that, knowingly or unknowingly. You want to fight the plans of God in your life. Why? What benefit are you going to get? Nothing. I would say nothing. So many times in my life I would I'd be angry with God and that's not for too long. Maybe a couple of months and then I will come back to my senses and say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
you are right, I am wrong. <laughs> that is the only right way to live life. You are right, I am wrong. And Jonah is not saying that. He says, God, you are wrong. <laughs> you look at verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased, exceedingly displeased. Seemed very, it seemed very wrong to him. And he was angry. And the other word you can use is he was hot, angry, hot, angry, hot. He was very, very hot, angry against God. If you look all that happened in chapter 1 and 2, how he was deserving God, basically Jonah was placing himself at 180 degrees to the position of God. If God is like this, Jonah is like this. 180 degrees. This is not really good. So there is, there is no justification for Jonah's position. In fact, when you read the story, you will censure him. You will say he is wrong. You will say he needs correction. You will reprove him and say, hey, Jonah, if you find him, what are you doing? <laughs> if, you, if you come, come, come across Jonah and you have read his story, what are you going to do? Tell him. I, I don't think you are right, Jonah. You must change the way you are thinking. Any com man with common sense will tell Jonah that he is wrong. God also said, are you justified to be angry? You think it is right to be angry? When God asks the question, the answer is no. If God is asking the question, are you justified to be angry? The only answer will be no. No and then no. His theology was more important than God himself. He knew God, but that was so dear to him, he was willing to take a stand against God. How many times we have our own conceptions of theology? Look at many evangelical preachers who are opposed to speaking in tongues, healing and deliverance. They go on again and again, write books about, against all these kind of things. Is God changed? Can you stop him from doing good to people? Can you stop him from healing people? Can you stop telling people about the future events that is going to come? Why are they opposing God like Jonah? I have no answer. It's just sometimes it is theological stupidity, I would call it. If there's a word, something you can, you can just say something like that. Everything Jonah did opposite to everything anybody else would do in the whole story. He was running away. He boasted about it. And uh, when the storm came, he was sleeping. People were crying out to their own gods. False gods, true gods, but they were crying out. Save us from this calamity. The captain finds him sleeping. So, here again, you see the people are helping him. They were not wanting to throw him. He says, throw me overboard. You'll be fine. But they were hesitating. They were trying to save him. They were throwing things out to lighten the ship, but not Jonah. But look at Jonah. He's crying out that they should all be condemned, judged, finished up, wiped out. Not right. Totally not right. Sometimes we feel so righteous, so good, we want everybody else to be gone in the world. Is that the stand we have? Does God use people today who are not mature in understanding spiritual matters to accomplish his purposes? If you look at Jonah, you will think he is spiritually immature. You will think he is 
um, uh, emotionally up and down. He's not a stable guy. And if you look at Jonah, you get an impression that he has his own uh, pet ideas of God and how God should do things. But still, how many pastors are there in the world who are not really mature? Will God use them? Yes, he can use them. He used Jonah. One sentence. Even though he was not willing, he went and preached. The whole city was turned upside down. And they all believed. In chapter 3, verse 9, they say, Who knows? The Ninevites were saying, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And here, Jonah is there and he says, um, he knows that God is a God who will forgive. God is a God who is compassionate, merciful. He will forgive. He knows it. But he's taking a stand against him. They are hoping. And he's saying, don't hope. I want you all gone. Not really good. So when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And Jonah became angry at God for showing mercy. God showed mercy to Jonah. He saved him from the belly of the fish. He was happy about it. Now God is showing mercy to Ninevites. Jonah is not happy. That's not right. Right, right. Jonah and God are 180 degrees completely opposite to each other. It seemed very wrong, exceedingly evil to Jonah. And he was angry, hot. When it is wrong for you, but right for God, what does one do? I will repeat the question again. When it is wrong for you, but right for God, how should you react? Do such situations come in life? They do. I will give you an example from the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, the Lord said to um, Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. God came down to visit Sodom and Gomorrah personally through his angels just to know whether it is all right or not right. Does not God know? He knows. It is just to demonstrate to us human beings that he sent angels to come down to check. God can know things without moving his eyelid. If I am looking, if I look this side, I have to move my face this side. If I am looking on my left, I have to move my head this way. God doesn't need to move his head to look on his left or right. He knows everything. He knows you are sitting down, he knows you are rising up. But yet he sent angels, for our sake, for the record of the story, to know what is going on in Sodom. And then the men turned away, verse 22 onwards, towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now when God says, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, it sounded wrong to Abraham. When God said, I am going to destroy Ninevites, it sounded right to Jonah. But when God says, I am going to forgive the Ninevites if they repent, it sounded wrong to Jonah. It sounded wrong to Jonah. So here he says, Abraham approached him and said, approach him is God. And he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare? 
the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What a great kind of a... I don't think any court of law, any lawyer has ever argued a case as powerfully as Abraham did before God. Can you do wrong thing? You cannot do wrong. If the 50 righteous, will you destroy the whole city? Will the righteous perish like the wicked in the whole city? And here is Jonah taking a stand against God. I want you to destroy them. I don't want you to show mercy to them. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And you know the story, how Abraham pleads. If there are 40, 30, 20, 10. And God said, if there are 10 people, I will spare the city. And Abraham said, if there are less than 10, it's okay. Let the nine, if they are perishing with the rest of the city, that's fine. But he stopped arguing with God, basically. And next day when he came and stood at the same spot, he, sm he saw smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah to the skies. That means the judgment already has fallen. That judgment has already fallen on Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody needs to perish now. Nobody needs to perish now. When Jesus himself was alive and walking on this earth and teaching, he said about the people of Sodom and Ninevites, he said, the people of Nineveh will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn this generation, meaning the, the people of the times of Jesus. Why? Because they repented the preaching of Jonah. And here is one who is greater than Jonah, referring to himself. Jesus says, when I am here and preaching one who is greater than Jonah, people are not listening to the message. But my question is, will the people of this generation stand on the day of judgment and condemn us because we have not preached the gospel of Jesus Christ? What will be your answer? Some of your relatives, your friends, people who are with whom you are working, people whom you with you sit down and have a social time, if they rise up on the day of judgment and condemn you because you did not open your mouth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is going to happen to you? Can it happen? Will that be a possibility? It will. After hundreds of years, after Jonah preached the message, Jesus comes on the scene and says, the people of Nineveh will stand up and condemn the generation of Jesus. That those times, after hundreds of years, because those people believed the message of Jonah, but these people are not believing the message of Jonah. Will the generation today rise up and talk against you on the day of judgment and stand up and say, they failed to tell me about Jesus. If they told me, I would have believed. What will you say on the day of judgment? What will I say on the day of judgment? This is the most serious indictment you can ever hear on the day of judgment. The city of Christ just stands up and says, People of Omega, they did not preach Jesus to us. What are we going to do? Woe unto us, as Paul said. Let's preach in season, out of season. Every time be ready to talk about Jesus to anyone. You find somebody in pain, tell them, come to Omega, we'll pray for you. God will heal you. Tell somebody who's in pain, come to Omega, 
we are going to pray for you. He will touch you, he will comfort you, he will encourage you, strengthen you. If you cannot do for yourself, bring them here. We will take over from there. But the point I'm trying to make is, be willing to reach out and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind the devil who is troubling you right now to leave you. Why do I say this? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth. Satan has been overthrown. And he said, behold, I give you authority to tread, that means to walk on snakes, scorpions, and all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. No fear of retaliation. You don't need to have any fear of retaliation. Demon can never touch you. Why? Jesus said it. He will not, he will not be able to punch you back. You can punch the devil in his face, but he cannot punch you back because he is powerless. Jesus has defeated him. The prophet never chooses his own message. The prophet never chooses his own message. Jonah had to preach what God tells him to preach. Elijah has to preach what God tells him to preach. Moses has to speak what God tells him to speak. Every prophet has to speak what God tells him to speak. You are a prophet if you are a child of God. You have the message of Jesus and that's what you speak. You have no other choice. If Jonah could not escape and go, though he wanted to go to Tashish, the fish followed him, brought him back, and brought him back to Nineveh to preach the gospel. Do you want God to force you to preach the gospel? Or do you want to do it willingly? Here am I, O oh God. I may not be a very intelligent guy in all the earth. I may not be the strongest person. But I would like to say that you are the savior. I want to say that you have died for the sins of the people. Will you touch the heart of these people? Cry out when you shed those tears in your room, in your house, in, the, in, the, in your closet. And then you cry out for somebody's soul. God will say, well done my son, well done my daughter. I am going to touch them because you have, cried, you have shed your tears for them. You are a prophet if you know the message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that is what God tells, expects you to preach. In the story of prodigal son, you all are aware, the younger guy took his share, went away and made, uh, enjoyed life and became poor to the point of wanting someone to give him something to eat. There was nothing to eat. And he could not get a job, ultimately got a job to keep the swine. And he had nothing to eat. He wanted to fill himself with what the swine were eating, what the pigs were eating, the rubbish. And then he came to his senses. My father is really good. His servants have are much better position. They have food to eat close to where they are far better. I will go and sell myself as a slave to my father. And he comes. But the father sees from far away, goes and puts his hand up on his, on his neck and kisses him and says, Son, I am so glad you came back. But the elder brother was unhappy. 
because there was music going on. Fat and cough is killed, and there's going to be a party. And he, when he comes back from work, he hears the noise. He says, what's happening? They say, your younger brother has come back, and the party is going. He says, no, I am not going in. That is the spirit of Jonah. That's the spirit of Jonah. And when Jesus talked, taught prodigal son story, he knew the people would understand that they are behaving like Jonah. I would like to tell you today how not to be like Jonah. The message I want to preach today, I want to put the title, How Not to Be Like Jonah. The elder brother did not know what belonged to him. So he envied his brother who comes back and is just, the father is happy about it. So I would say, ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what you possess. The father said, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. But the elder brother could not see it. And he tells him, you didn't even give me a cough. You didn't even give me a small um, uh, kid so that I can celebrate with my friends. The father says, son, all that is mine is yours. He did not have eyes to see what he possessed. That's why he was unhappy with the brother coming back. Tell your neighbor, ask the Lord to open your eyes to, to see what he possesses. Very important to know what you possess. When you know what you possess, it's easier to love, easier to show mercy, easier to be compassionate, easier to be, easier to be loving because you know what you possess. Because you know what you possess. The vineyard owner gave one who came in the last hour, one denarius, like the one who started in the morning. And when the evening comes, the vineyard owner tells the guy, give from the, start from the people who started late, give them money, one denarius. So they got one denarius. Other people are watching. Oh, he worked only one hour, he got one denarius. I came two hours ago, I'm going to get two denarius. The one who started in the afternoon thinks I'm going to get six denarius. The one who came in the morning thought he's going to get 12 denarius. But everybody got only one denarius. And they complained. They complained, saying, this is not right. What is what were they saying? This is not right. Spirit of Jonah. That is the spirit of Jonah. May the Lord save us from the spirit of Jonah. Let's be merciful. Let's be compassionate. If God wants to bless somebody, don't be envious about it. Don't be envious about it. Let us be like King David. He says in Psalm 86. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When you know God is good to so-and-so, God is good to A, God is good to B, God is good to C, you cry out, God is good to M, me. Instead of saying, why are you merciful to A? Why are you blessing B? Say, what? You are doing that? Do to me also. It is true in the spiritual realm too. 
When you see somebody is more gifted than you, somebody is more anointed than you, what is your complaint? God, why did you bless that man? Why is he moving in prophecy? Why is he uh, uh, healing people? Why is he casting out demons? Instead of saying, Lord, I thank you that man casts out demons. Thank you because he prophesies. Thank you because he's able to do this. Will you please give that to me too? Give that to me. I need it, oh God. I'm hungry for it. Visit me. Bless me. He will do it for you. What he did to A, what he did to B, he will do to M. I'll tell you a secret. How to receive more. Thank the Lord for what you have. And he'll give you more. Sometimes we don't thank God for what we have. Do you thank God for what you have? Food to eat, roof over your head, bed to sleep, children to love. Thank him. He will give you more. Tell your neighbor, thank the Lord for what you have and he'll give you more. We must be happy and content with what God deals to us. Jonah lacked the big picture. Jonah lacked the big picture. Salvation of the whole world is God's heart. If Jonah today is walking on the road and he reads a billboard and on it is written John 3.16, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. What is Jonah going to do? Wrong! And he asked the soldier to, uh, the, the people on the ship to lift him up and throw him into the sea. He did not jump himself. But today, if he walked on the road and he sees John 3.16, and he sees people all over the world repenting and coming to believe in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the church is being built all over the whole world, Jonah will say, it is wrong. And he will jump himself into the water now. Now, no one need to throw him. He will commit suicide. If you have a heart like Jonah, you'll commit suicide today. Because God is showing mercy, saving people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. He's saving them. He's building, his, he's preparing his bride. We are part of the bride. Let's not be slack. Let's not be envious. Let's not be lazy. But let us work with the Lord. Fall in line with God's plan and purpose for the world. And let's begin to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and bring many more people to believe in the name of Jesus. Be set free from sin. Be set free from sickness. Be set free from demons. Let us do that to the glory of his name. Understanding the nature of God should make your position more secure. You must become unshakable. He knew God. As I told you, Jonah knew God. Look at uh, uh, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was still in, at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tashish. I, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He understood the covenant-keeping God. God who never changes. God who is love. God who is committed to bless. God who is committed to lead people. He knew this God. This is the same thing you'll see in Exodus. Chapter, in Exodus uh, when God revealed himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate. He passed all his goodness before him. Put him putting him between the cleft of the rock. Covering him with his own hand. Let his all goodness pass before Moses. And Jonah knew this. 
And he said, I know you are a God who forgives, but these people don't deserve it. Who are we to say who deserves and who doesn't deserve the mercy of God? Verse 3. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. How much he says he wants to oppose his mind, his will, his emotion, his spirit against the will of God. He says, take away my life. Again, he told the people on the boat, ship, throw me into the water. Now he's telling God, take away my life. He doesn't want to die himself. He says, you take away my life. It's enough. It's enough. For it is, not, it is better for me to die than to live. He sorely detested the plan of God, will of God. Was there somebody who prayed like this? You have one more character in the Old Testament. Elijah. He confronted the false prophets of Baal on the Mount Carmel. He called for fire to come down from heaven. It came down, consumed the sacrifice, licked up the water, everything became ashes. And then he said, catch the prophets of Baal. 400 of them he killed single-handedly. And he runs faster than Ahab. Ahab had the strongest, best of the horses. And he was running from Mount Carmel to his palace. He just tied up his, uh, uh, girded up his clothes. And he ran ahead of Ahab before this, and reached the city before Ahab reached. He was so strong and powerful. But Jezebel just sent a message. Tomorrow by this time, if your head remains on your shoulders, she just threatened. Tomorrow by this time, she gave 24 hours of time. Tomorrow by this time, your head will not be on your shoulders. And he ran for his life until Beersheba taking his servant. And he told the servant, you stay here. And he continued to go. And at one, we found a tree under which he slept because he was tired. The angel of God came and made some bread and kept some jar of water. Get up, get up. Eat, you need some food. He eats and again sleeps. He was so tired. Again, the angel of God comes in, gives him some more bread, some more water. You need this strength. You need strength. And he eats that bread, drinks that water. And he walks day and night, 40 days, reaches the Mount Sinai. And there God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? If the same voice spoke to you today and asked you by name, what are you doing today? What is, what is your response? Are you in the will of God? Are you in the will of God? Can you answer God if he asks you the same question? What are you doing today? And he told him, what did he tell him? I have been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Self-pity, sympathy, all kinds of things. And ultimately God says, many other things you read in the chapter, and ultimately what happens is, God says, okay, go back the way you came, but anoint somebody as a king. Anand somebody as a prophet. He sends him back with a mission. He was so tired because he was fighting for God. And he said, it's enough for me. Let me die. Maybe you can sympathize with Elijah when he said those words. But what sympathy you have when Jonah says, you killed me. You need to be clear in your mind where you're putting your energy and your strength to. What are you doing in your life? Are you really living for God? 
if the persecution comes, trouble comes, because you're living for God, you have a right to say, oh God, it is enough now, it's too much. I'll tell you one more example. In the book of Job, in the book of Job, Job says, therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And he says, um, so that I, uh, he says, because you're so full of sickness, pain, scabs covering his skin, there's no sound place where we can scratch. If he scratches, he's going to, something is going to uh, um, burst out and Things are going to spill out. Water and the pus is going to come out. He can't even scratch his skin. He was covered with sores head to toe. No place to lie down. He was sitting in a heap of ashes. And he says, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. He was so sorely troubled. He was going through so much of suffering. He had a right to say those words. What right does Jonah have to say those words? Kill me. Take my life away. Then the Lord says in verse 4, Have you any right to be angry? And the rest of the chapter is very simple. I have plowed through the difficult part. The rest of the chapter is very simple. This man, Jonah, he decides, he has preached, People have repented. It's all over. But he says, no, I'm not going, not going to give up. He goes to the east side of the city. East side of the city. Where is the clicker? Yeah, that one. Uh, this one is okay. East side of the city. And then he put, makes a small kind of a shelter like that. You know, men's fishing, fishing day we went, you remember? <laughs> so I found a shelter there. There is nothing there on the roof. One more picture, please. That's done better, isn't it? Shelter. So he made a shelter for himself, but not go so good like this. So this man was sitting there watching. What's going to happen to Nineveh? Is fire going to come down like it came on Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm going to sit here, watch and watch and watch. Nothing was happening. The whole day he sat there. The sun was beating on him. He is thirsty and tired. And God said, okay, I understand your problem. So he made a gourd, a, a plant spring up. And it came and covered and gave him shade over it. Next day morning. Next day when the sun rises, Jonah looks at the roof. Oh, so beautiful. It's giving nice shade. And then what happens? That day he was very comfortable, still watching what's happening to Nineveh. Is fire coming down? Nothing is happening. But he sleeps that night. And God ordained, again, you remember the word God provided. He provided the fish to swallow him. He brought the storm when he was disobeying. And now he ordered, uh, provided a plant to come and give him shade. Now he provided a worm to eat it. Just one small bite somewhere in the root. The whole plant will wither. Some people think that the plant is um, the castor oil plant. Many commentaries they think it is resinous communist, that is castor oil plant. Castor oil plant grows straight. It cannot give shade like But the right translation should be gourd. Gourd is the plant with the large leaves and it can give shade. 
So that's the right way to understand it. So that God provided the worm to eat the plant. And next day morning, he gets up, the plant is dried up, wilted. Again, sun is beating hot. And in addition to that, God allowed a east wind to come. East wind comes from the desert, bringing hot air. It was so hot, it was so hot, until all his hotness, his anger, will be pale before the hotness of the wind. It beat on his face, and he was tired, and he was really fainting. And he said, it's enough, let me die now. And God said, verse 9, God says, do you have a right to be angry? God said to him, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the wine, about this plant that has grown up overnight and died overnight? Do you have a right to be angry about it? Jonah says, I do. He's not in marriage ceremony there, don't worry. <laughs> He's not saying that. <laughs> I am angry enough to die. <laughs> angry enough to die. And but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. It basically says, it is son of a night. It's like a child of a night. It came overnight for the night and died overnight. So what is your problem? Did you, did you plant the seed? Did you water it? Did you cause it to grow? No. So when you have no, nothing to contribute for the plant and it grows up and dies by itself, you are angry about it. It's not justified. Most beautiful thing about this whole story is God is trying to put reason in the mind of Jonah who is unreasonable. In the book of Isaiah, God says, come, let us reason together. Even though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them like white like snow. What was, what was God doing, doing through Isaiah? Is trying to reason with a sinful nation. Here God is trying to be reasonable with an unreasonable prophet. Unreasonable prophet. And he's reasoning with him, dialoguing with him. I envy Jonah for no other reason that God cared to talk to him. I wish God talked to him day and night and talked to me like, I'm willing to obey him. I'm willing to do his will. I want to hear his voice. You think he's going to say, no, I will not speak to you? If you're committed like that? He will speak. He needs more prophets for himself. He needs more preachers for himself. He needs every kind of person in the world to advance his kingdom. But the question is, will you be one of those who will say like Isaiah, send me, here am I. Send me here, am I? Or you want to be like Jonah. These people deserve to die. I don't want them to live. I don't want them to be blessed. I don't want them to be saved. Do you want to have the spirit of Jonah controlling you? So Jesus, I mean, the God asks this question and leaves the, uh, no answer there. You read that whole story, it ends with a question. It doesn't give any more answers. Did Jonah repent? How long he was angry? What happened to him? How did he die? There's no other information about it. I think the Lord allowed the prophet to write only so much so that you and I can answer what we, what we want to do with our life. What you want to do with your life, God wants you to decide today. That's the reason why he never left any more answers there in the book. The story ends there. There's one more book, Nahum. Is another prophet who also condemned Nineveh, condemned Assyria, and he's prophesied against them. His book ends with a question too. 
Next week we'll look into the book of Nahum because they go together. It's, it's a, dealing with the same kind of a subject, Nineveh. And there were other prophets like Amos and Hosea who also condemned Assyria. And they said that Assyria is going to come to destroy Israelites. And probably Jonah knew the prophecies of Amos and Hosea. And that's the reason why he said, I don't want these people to be saved. I don't want them to repent. Therefore, he said, I will not go and preach this message. Because I know if I preach, they are going to repent. If they repent, God is going to forgive. If God is going to forgive, they will live and come and attack Israel. So I don't want this to happen. So he put his mind and his emotions opposite to God, 180 degrees, completely opposed, and never changed. May God save us from such a response of Jonah. Let us not be like Jonah. Let us not be like Jonah. Let's be like Abraham. Let's be like Moses. At one point, God told Moses, these people are stiff-necked people. They are not going to be obedient. I'm going to destroy them. Let me destroy them. That's what God said to Moses. Moses said, he fell before God and pleaded, please don't do that. When the nations hear the report that you killed them because you cannot save them. God said, okay, because of what your prayer you have done, I will not destroy them. He made them wander for 40 years before every one of those people died. God has different ways of dealing. God has different ways of dealing. The question that I have this morning is, how do we want God to deal with us? Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.